0: You're listening to The Tigger Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading
1: stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Here's your host, Jeff Casella.
2: Hi, everyone. Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, SPACs, have had quite a run. Capital raising in the last year and a half has been orders of magnitude more than ever before, but after a record 109 new SPAC deals in March alone, issuance has suddenly ground to a virtual standstill. The SPAC smackdown follows new SEC accounting guidance that would classify SPAC warrants as liabilities instead of equity instruments potential rule change that could take away the incentives for sponsors and operating companies to opt for this alternative IPO vehicle. Meanwhile, restating financials could further dent investor confidence in a market that's already volatile and oftentimes seen as speculative. So, is this just a pause, or is the SPAC party over? And in these sorts of circumstances, what are communications teams to do? My guests today have some pretty good ideas. On this ticker podcast, SPAC Talk with KCSA Strategic Communications Jeffrey Goldberger and Lewis Goldberg. That's coming up right after this week's IR News Update. Three out of four investment bank conferences will likely be entirely virtual this year. A survey conducted by financial video provider Open Exchange also shows many banks are preparing for a gradual shift to hybrid investor events. But not all corporate access professionals are completely sold on the hybrid format. Several have pointed out to IR Magazine that if attendees travel for a conference where half their meetings are virtual, they may wonder why they bothered to travel in the first place. Institutional investors aren't buying oil and gas companies' promises to clean up their collective act. A survey of 64 investors managing about $11 trillion in assets shows less than a fifth actually believe oil groups can transform their businesses to focus on green energy. At the same time, almost half of investors polled by the firm ProCensus said big fossil fuel groups were still investable. That's mainly because they would benefit from another oil price cycle, with share prices going up on the back of a rise in the oil price, And that's before, presumably, net zero becomes an issue. Everything you think you know about ESG alpha may be wrong. An analysis by smart index provider Scientific Beta concludes ESG funds' outperformance is based on factors other than strict ESG metrics. If true, companies may expect a shift in investor objectives regarding ESG strategies, moving from alpha to things like contributing to society – are reducing climate and litigation risk. And finally, recent events have drawn attention to the growing role of retail investors in equity markets. IR Magazine has been tracking their behavior and how IR teams view their shifting participation. Joining us now is IR Magazine's Garnet Roach with the latest edition of Garnet's IR Research Rockpile. Hi, Garnet. So, what have you got for us today?
3: Hi, Jeff. Yeah, so we've got a new report that looks at retail shareholders and how investor relations professionals communicate with these types of investors. So we looked at what the average shareholding is for retail investors and companies, um, and the average proportion of shares held in a company by retail investors is around 14%. Um, And that compares with an average of almost 60% held by institutional investors. So it makes sense that IR professionals put the bigger focus on institutions, obviously. However, many companies do say that they've seen an increase in retail investment in the past 12 months and more than a quarter say they've seen an increase from from three years ago. And much of this is focused on small cap companies. So what's the sweet spot when it comes to how many retail investors hold your stock? Um, so most IROs say that they're happy with their current levels of retail holding, but just over a quarter would like to see more retail investment, while a fifth would like to see fewer retail shareholders. And it seems that around 20% retail investment is, uh, is kind of the tipping point for many IROs. Um, that's the point when around half say that they'd actually like to see fewer retail shareholders in the stock. You can find the full report which looks at the benefits and challenges of managing a retail shareholder base as well as how to better communicate with this growing group of investors at (laughs) IRmagazine.com.
2: Just a quick review. SPACs, simply put, are publicly traded shell companies. They've got no specific business plan or purpose except to find a business and acquire it. Now, for target companies, SPACs can seem like a pretty good idea. Just merge with a public entity and voila, fewer disclosures, fast cash. But the fact is SPACs are complicated, and getting the new companies to live up to their potential can be pretty fraught success perhaps even more than a traditional ipo hinges on communication lots and lots of communication my guests today are spac communication specialists and they bring a special philosophy to the job integrated communications ir and pr working in tandem kcsa strategic communications jeffrey goldberger handles the ir lewis goldberg oversees the pr now As a professional podcaster, I'm well acquainted with recording technology, but this time I forgot to record myself. So what you'll hear in this special ticker edition are clips from both Jeffrey and Lewis, and I'll step in from time to time to provide background and context. So let's begin with Jeffrey Goldberger and a SPAC market status update. Sure, I'll start start off with Lewis might have some...
0: Additional thoughts as well. I look at if you look at the marketplace right now. By month three of two thousand and twenty-one, we eclipsed the number of SPACs that entered the marketplace through IPO all of twenty twenty. So, obviously, um, a lot of activity, tremendous amount of activity. Um, the SEC is uh, getting a lot of pressure to to assert itself, or at least to put in some uh, more. Checks and balances, and I think that's what they've done. So everything seems to have uh, uh, ground to a stop. No more IPOs, at least in the short term. And then all these companies that are out there, whether they um, have have filed or are currently trading, they're going to have to go back and they're going to have to work with their auditors to to work through this uh, this mess. And that's what it is at this point. I think there's a lot of uncertainty, and we've seen uh, you know most of the the stocks that are out there trading—they're down ten to twenty percent each. So I think it's a pause. I don't think it's over because I think, as, as I like to say, there's a lot of inventory out there. So these companies aren't going away. It's what you do with them in this type of environment, uh, Lewis?
1: Yeah, just just to to kind of dovetail on what Jeffrey said, um, this week, which is the week of April nineteenth, um, is the first week since March of 2020 that we haven't seen a single new issuance of SPACs, Um, and there's a tremendous amount of appetite for new equity issuances, but we're starting to see traditional IPOs step to the fore, um, as opposed to the alternative route that a SPAC offers, both uh, the initial investors and the target company, Um, there is less rigor for the target company who is being acquired to be vetted than would be done through a traditional s1 filing and an ipo and as jeffrey said with the spacs now down so significantly investors are less interested in quick and easy and more interested in value
2: so with that as background Jeffrey and Lewis explain what makes SPAC communication special and how you know if you're doing it any good.
1: There is a life cycle to to a SPAC uh, and this is something that Jeffrey and I have had some in-depth conversations about not only in preparation for our conversation with you but just over the years that we've been working with these types of companies. You know, there's the initial formation of the of the SPAC when the money is is collected from investors and poured into the public vehicle. That is a bet on that management team, and um, there are, you know, Jeffrey will talk about the investor relations component of what we do. The public relations component is telling the story about how smart that management team is, right? As that management team works towards identifying a target and a despiking event, that the, there is a shift of. Look at who mom and dad is to look at who the kids are, and the kids being the the target company. Because the ultimate objective is to keep the initial investors in the spAC at that point of de spACing and not, you know, encourage them not to redeem because the target company may not have the capital necessary for operations um, that they need to achieve their business objectives. If the redemptions are too high. Uh, one, the stock price will come down; will, will plummet, and two, that company will have to go out and raise money again relatively quickly to allow them to operate. You know, we're not looking at all SPACs are not created equal. Most of the SPACs are small, not multi-billion-dollar SPACs. They're SPACs that have been targeted at the tens, or if they're lucky, hundreds of millions of dollars. Very different than a SPAC like Boex that is being targeted to for the. Um, acquiring Airbnb. Thank you. Um, no, not Airbnb. It wasn't Airbnb. It's um, WeWork. It's WeWork, right? So Boex is atar- acquiring WeWork, right? That's a completely different conversation than a SPAC that spent it's a 40 million dollar SPAC acquiring a small technology company. It's just different. So I'll, I'll, Jeffrey, why aren't you talking about how we communicate on the towards to the to, to the investors directly?
0: Yeah, well, I think it dovetails exactly what Lewis is saying. I mean, we use public relations to feed the investor relations machine. The more that we can raise the profile of the the management teams of the SPAC itself, whether they bring expertise from lodging or real estate or technology, that's the fact that everything's built and that's the bet that you're making, that the success that these individuals have had in their various areas of of work over the years that they can replicate it, that they have the relationships in place that they can attract companies, they can attract the right operating management teams. So what we do, we kind of work both sides of the equation, but typically we're on one side of the equation or the other, but but it is a, 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 a combined effort that if you're the SPAC, you are working to keep that money that came in initially in. So you're raising the profile of the expertise. You're inserting them in conversations about other things that are going on in the marketplace so that their their profile continues to be high and the notoriety is elevated.
2: Seems like a lot of wheels in motion and a somewhat dizzying variety of interlocking objectives. But was there a simple rule to define SPAC success? Jeffrey Goldberger.
0: You know, all SPACs are done at $10 a share or $10 a unit with typically one share and one warrant. that separates and, and it's kind of like the, um, it, it, it's, your, it's your option on the future, right? So $10 of, of, uh, at the common share level is really the, the bottom that you want to be. Anything above that is considered a success. Anything below that is considered um, less than a success. So that's really where I think our work is is, um, graded. Have we helped that company through our efforts to keep that stock at, at $10 or greater, hopefully greater? Because then someone is saying the investment community is betting with their dollar that the success of this potential um, acquisition and de spacking process is stronger. Um, we worked with one actually, that by the time the spacking process um, occurred, the shorts had gotten to it and it was trading at $2.50 by the time they went through the de-spacking process. At that point, they were so far down the line that they had to do the deal. Most of the money uh, walked away and they had to go immediately as Lewis said, back into the market to raise additional capital, which ended up diluting the shareholders even greater.
1: We worked with an international um, agriculture company, though, that had a different result, that they were right around 10 bucks a share, and the majority of the money stayed in. Um, and it allowed the company to the acquired, the target company, to have enough cash to not need to go back to the market for eight months, a little longer, and it's been they've had a much better go of it, both from an operational perspective and also from a stock perspective. Like it, 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 it the stock has still fluctuated, um, but in line with the industry that they are in, as opposed to decoupled from that industry and based on the the issues that they were a SPAC, right? You know, we worked with a a technology company three or four years three years ago that went through the a SPAC process, um, same similar thing happened that Jeffrey described um, that the shorts got involved, crushed the stock. They were ideally gonna raise a hundred million. They only ended up raising like 20, 15 or 20 million. And that company has never been the same since. Um, so, you know, it, it, your question is, is that the fundamental definition of what a successful de spacking is? Yeah, you know, because it, Unlike an IPO, where uh, shares may be priced, you know, initially at like twenty bucks and trade in, you know, come out at fifteen or come out at twenty five, that is less impactful uh, on the long term prospects of a company than the despacking process because of how you know how much money immediately is on the line. Money and if you raise
0: hundred million dollars at ten dollars for a traditional IPO. You got the hundred million dollars. If you did a hundred million dollars in the SPAC and everything falls apart, you may end up with half or a quarter of that. And so, where do you go from there? So She's Lewis, Lewis actually described um, this agricultural company that we work with. So we were on the target side. We had worked with that company for over a year prior to that to help raise their profile and to give them optionality. And by that I mean. They didn't always come out with the idea that they wanted to be acquired by a SPAC. They wanted to potentially be acquired or raise private equity capital or do a traditional IPO. They ended up going the route of a SPAC, which worked out for them. But the idea is if you use the public relations for a company that is in call a capital raising mode that wants to have the that optionality, that's a really great way to help them not only build their business, but also build their profile with the investment community. And then the investment community will then provide them with that optionality. We think there's a great opportunity to the public through an IPO or you could go through a SPAC process and then decisions are made.
2: US listed SPACs, both pre and post acquisition, have lost more than 15% in value in the last two months. And as the sector declines, there has indeed been plenty of short selling. Meanwhile, more regulatory scrutiny and a likely tightening of accounting standards has caused a lot of consternation about the true value of these assets. That means more work for auditors. But what now for communications teams?
1: One of the things that it, that we are very aware of when we're doing any communication around any public company is what are the regulations? How do we tell the story appropriately when, where, you know, and if this changes the fundamental value of how, how a spec how the spec is valued or how the the um, target companies value, will change how we tell that story. But we just don't you know we don't know what we don't know yet. Once we do, then we'll then we'll pivot.
0: You know this is this is no different than frankly how the shorts have historically played the game, right? So you've had you've had uh, you've had funds that are are you know long short funds that take a short position in a company and they use everything at their disposal to go effectuate the direction they want the stock to go. They may put rumors into the marketplace. They may do uh, behind the scenes interviews with, with the media. They have discussions with the SEC. So you know who who knows that 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 there aren't some significant short positions. In fact, there's one uh, gentleman whose name eludes me came out story in the journal today that he that he's a billion dollars short of various um, of, of of various stocks. So, was that David?
1: I think that was David Einhorn. No,
0: no, I haven't heard David's name in any. I thought he saw I saw that yesterday. But, but the but point that. being is that you know there there could be some other things going behind the scenes that are raising the attention of, of, of this. And listen, if 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 the spec transaction is is pummeling the traditional IPO in the marketplace, and the number of specs that are coming out there is so extreme, you, you're not going to do it in a in a in a uh, behind the scenes. There's so much notoriety out there that it was it was bound to raise you know some some attention in the SEC. And the whole thing about you know the SPAC in general is it's 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 a historically it's an easier way to bring a company public in terms of regulation and costs, et cetera. Um, you know, go back five, 10, even 20 years ago. You know, a SPAC was the redheaded stepchild of how to bring a company public. And as and most of these SPACs were 10 million to 20, 30, 40 million, not the hundreds of millions. And billions of dollars that these companies are coming out at—it's just a different ballgame now. And if you are—and if you are a private equity firm, which a lot of these sponsors are—you're basically creating a home for for portfolio companies for for you and your your brethren.
1: And from a communications perspective, um, the last couple of months, probably last six months, there has been nonstop coverage of. Spacs in the media, you know, CNBC almost daily is covering spacs. You'll see the Wall Street Journal covering it. So the both the opportunity and the challenge is that there is an appetite specifically to cover spacs because the business financial media realizes they follow where the flows of capital are, right? Um, so there is where there used to be um, a challenge to get people to pay attention to you. Now the challenge is to differentiate yourself. And that comes down to, um, again, fundamentals of the company. Who's your management team? Talk about what the acquirer, the, the target company has and how it differentiates itself from its peers. What makes us uh, better, smarter, faster than anybody else? Be able to clearly explain why the target is going to be okay to be acquired by a SPAC as opposed to going through a traditional IPO process. You, you have to do the work. Um, and if you do the work and you work with people who understand how to tell those stories, you'll see the, the net benefit. If you don't do the work, um, the market's going to punish you.
0: Yeah, I really think right now, just like I said, the audit firms are going to have more work to do. I think the communications firms, the IR firms and the PR firms are going to have more work to do. Because as Lou said, you're going to have to over communicate. And, and, and because there are so many SPACs out there and frankly, probably a dearth of viable targets out there. Um, fighting for you know, a finite group of targets, I think that it's going to be really important to both, uh, in particular, to the investment community to get out there and tell your story, not just through the media, but go out and do your traditional non-deal roadshows. Get out there and talk to institutions and figure out how to best communicate to get in front of retail investor, because the retail investor is a tremendous supporter of these facts. They're very speculative, and they have attracted a tremendous amount of retail money. So, How do you best get out there and tell the story to them? Because they're looking at this as potentially an opportunity, they're also looking as an opportunity to get out, so you have to give them every reason to stay in
1: the stock. I. I- no, what I was going to say is I think that we are near the. If we haven't already hit the peak, we're very close to to the to the top of this this trend. Um, and and we'll, I, I'm really interested to see how WeWork does. You know, I, I think that that WeWork is a bellwether. If the WeWork de-spacking process goes off really really well, and they are able to maintain, you know. 80-90% of the money that's in the Box SPAC, then it will indicate that there is still tremendous appetite. If it is a failure and, and WeWork doesn't raise the capital that they need and want, it will indicate, I think, that you know the funds has jumped the shark. And you know, we're there, like, then we're going to swing, you know, because Jeffrey mentioned it earlier, SPACs are not new. They've been around for 20, 30 years. Um, And, you know, they were all the rage back in the, the late eighties, early nineties. And they just came back into vogue. And just like bell-bottom pants that come and go, I think that SPACs are similar, that they won't go away completely. Here's the difference, but
0: the difference is this Lewis is that there's now a tremendous amount of inventory out there, right? So there could be zero more, you know, no more SPACs coming out and you have to deal with this inventory. So yeah. the job of communicators in working with these management teams is gonna be extremely important because they're gonna to have to work through because the SPAC, the SPAC um, platform is, is pretty straightforward. You don't find a viable target and get shareholder approval within call it 18 months to 2 years all that money just goes back to the investors so that opportunity goes away if you don't make it work in that finite period of time
2: so in the end with SPACs facing a surfeit of headwinds making it work means the opportunity for communications teams may never have been greater
0: listen if if if, if companies didn't have issues we wouldn't have jobs
1: so we view this as an opportunity. Actually, when things are good, they need us to tell people things are good. When things are bad, we need that they need us to help them when things are bad. The the good thing about communications is, they need us. Like that's the the reality. And one of the things that honestly we we learned in in COVID was companies still have to communicate, regardless of what the market conditions are or business conditions are. They have a need to tell their stories to their target audiences. And the way that we think about communicating for any company is relevant whenever, whatever it is. Um, whether, you know, the economy is growing at 4% or shrinking at 2% and anywhere in between. We are needed members of the 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 strategic consulting of how a company is doing its business because everything is public now. Even if you're a private company, you still behave in the public light and how you tell your story matters today more than ever before.
2: And that's your Ticker Podcast. My thanks to KCSA's Jeffrey Goldberger and Louis Goldberg. And thank you for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette.